So I know I've spotted some. I'm Pastor Dan, for those who don't know me. The title of my sermon this morning is Hallelujah, Jesus, He Is. My text is the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There's an insert in your bulletin. I'm going to really urge that you take it out now because you'll find an outline there as well as the text. And that's the text that I will be reading from. I guess I'm going to record all these sniffles as well on this (laughs) CD. Join me as I look to Psalm 1914, as I generally do, to see God's anointing on these my words. Dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote, If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning the name of Jesus in it, it ought to be his last. But this morning, I want to go beyond just the mention. And I must tell you at the beginning that my only intention today is to simply preach the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're ever called by a, a Jew or a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim or a Mormon, if you're ever called by any of these groups to discuss religion and your belief in Jesus, and at the end of that discussion you have not offended them, you have not preached Jesus. You know, we saying, I can only imagine what it will be like. And this morning we sang, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Lord of the universe, King of the universe, Master of the universe, the God of the universe. Do we believe it? Do we really know and understand it? As I preach on Jesus, will the subject captivate your mind and your heart? Or will you be minding the time? You know, Luke tells us in Acts 5.42 that the very first Christians in the very first church did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. When Philip went down to Samaria, Acts 8.5 states, he preached Christ to them. And when Philip climbed into the Ethiopian's chariot, Acts 8.35 tells us that he preached Jesus to him. You know, the spark of salvation had just barely ignited a fire in Paul's heart when we read in Acts 9.20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. He wasn't keeping the Sabbath. He was going from Sabbath from synagogue to synagogue because he knew there were ears that needed hearing. You can never go wrong preaching Jesus. You know, God inspired the scripture so that Jesus might be shown. And God sent the Spirit so that Jesus can be known. And the fact of the matter is, in all of human history, there has never been anyone like the Lord Jesus Christ. More than 1,900 years ago, 
There was a man born contrary to the laws of nature. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. Only once did he cross the border, the boundary of the country in which he lived. And that was during his exile as a child. In infancy, he frightened the king. In childhood, he puzzled the doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon waves as if on pavement, and hushed the sea to sleep. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries of the country cannot hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a university, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. And though time has spread many years between the people of this generation and the scene of his crucifixion, yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. He stands upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils as the living, personal, the Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our God. There has never been, and there will never be anybody like Jesus. See, Jesus is different. Jesus is distinct. Jesus is dissimilar from anyone who ever lived. Now, please take out your insert, and let's look at this text. In those three short verses, the author of Hebrews defines for us exactly and meticulously what it is that makes Jesus so unique. Our text this morning, Hebrews 1 through through 3, is God's supreme revelation. Follow as I read. Verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen? Now let's follow your outline and let us first consider his predominant power. You know, this world has a one-sided picture of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus had unsurpassed, unequal, unparalleled power. First, he has the power of creation, We read here, verse 2, that Jesus is God's Son, through whom also he made the worlds. Now, don't miss the import or the impact of that statement. The Christ of the New Testament is the creator of the Old Testament. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, we read in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And if it could be made any plainer, John did so in his gospel. John 1.3 states, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In other words, 
If anything is here, it is because Jesus created it. If he didn't create it, then it is not here. You know, sometimes I'm afraid that we get the idea that it was only God the Father who was involved in the creation of the world. And we all know that Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Some of you know, but not all of you may know, that the Hebrew word for God is Elohim, which is a plural noun. But what is interesting is that plural noun is always followed by a singular verb. You know, in other words, when we speak of ourselves collectively in the plural, we say, we are. But God always says, we is. Now that may be bad grammar, (laughs) but it is tremendous theology. Because in the beginning, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who was, not were, who was creating this universe. And it is because Jesus created this world that he had the power over this world when he was in this world. Jesus had power over disaster. In the middle of a raging storm, he could speak to a boisterous sea and say, Peace! Be still, and the waves would lie down at his feet. Jesus had power over demons. He could say to a demon-possessed man, come out of him, and demons would run like scared rabbits. He had power over disease. He could say to a leper, be healed, and the spots would look for a place to hide. He had power over death. To the one who died, he said, Lazarus, come forth, and the chains of death shattered into a million pieces. He had power over depravity. He could say to the worst sinner, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, scarlet guilt would be turned into snow-white purity. Because he created this world, he controlled this world. Secondly, he had the power of continuation. The one who put this world together is the one who holds the world together. He is the one who is, verse 3, upholding all things by the word of his power. He said in Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and in him all things consist. All things consist. The word consist comes from a root word that gives us our word synthesis. It literally means to glue. Christ is the glue of the galaxies. He is the one who brought this world together, and he is the one who holds this world together. May I just say that what is true of the world is true of your life. Jesus is the only one who can put your life together and keep your life together. Only Jesus can take the pieces of your life, no matter how shattered, broken, and desperate they may be, put them all together into a complete unit and hold them there. Third, he has the power of communication. God is not only in the creation business, he's also in the revelation business because all that we can know of God must be revealed by him to us. Now, verbally, God revealed himself through the prophets. Our verse 1 states, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. But visibly, 
God has revealed himself to us in his Son. Verse 2 tells us that God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. In these last days, God has spoken to this world in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to see that Jesus is more than just a prophet. In fact, Jesus was better than a prophet, and Jesus was greater than the prophets for this reason. A prophet is God's messenger, but Jesus is God's Messiah. A prophet was God's spokesman, but Jesus is God's son. From the prophet, we hear the voice of God, but in Jesus, we see the very person of God. And may I say to you that Jesus is not just God's best word to man. He is God's last word to man. You see, after Jesus, even God has nothing else to say because when you say Jesus, you've said it all. In that one name, even the vocabulary of God is exhausted because after Jesus, there is nothing more to say, there is nothing else to say, there is nothing left to say because there is nobody like Jesus. Secondly, you would like to consider his peerless perfection. You know, we're told in verse 3 that Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now, that language is deep, but truth is simple. Jesus is God, and God is Jesus. They are distinct, but they are inseparable. They are two in person, but they are one in essence. And this is one of the strongest statements of the deity of Jesus in the Bible. Now, we are told that Jesus is the express image of God. In other words, we could put it this way. Jesus is the mirror image of God. That is, he is the reproduction of God himself. In Colossians 1.15, we are told, he is the image of the invisible God. The word image is the Greek word that gives us the word icon. It means a precise copy, an exact reproduction. Jesus is the perfect copy of God himself, for he is God himself. Understand this plainly. Jesus did not become God. He became man. He was always God, one with the Father and one with the Spirit. Now you remember what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which is prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now pay attention. The child was born but the Son was given. The Son was always the Son and never ceased to be the Son, but at Bethlehem that Son was given in the birth of a child. Think about that. Now the reason this is so important is that if it is true that Jesus is God, then he must have been sinless because God is perfect. Listen, Jesus is God then he too must have been perfect. But learn this and learn it well. Jesus was not God because he was sinless. He was sinless because he was God. Now, have you ever said something that you wished you had never said? Have you ever made a statement that you had to correct? (laughs) Do you realize that Jesus never withdrew or corrected any statement that he ever made? 
Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus never once had to apologize to anyone for anything? Jesus never apologized for anything he did because he never made a mistake. He never apologized for anything he said for he never made a misstatement. He never apologized for anywhere he went for he never made a misstep. Not once do you read where Jesus ever confessed his sins. Even though he taught his disciples to ask for forgiveness, he never asked for forgiveness. Even on the cross while he was dying as a common criminal, he said, Father, forgive them. And the reason why he never confessed any sin is because he had no sins to confess. Now let me ask you what may be a trick question. What were Jesus' strong points? The answer is, he didn't have any. Because to have a strong point, you have to have a weak point. And he didn't have any weak points. And the reason why he didn't have any weak points is because he was perfect. He was sinlessly perfect and perfectly sinless because he was and is God. Now, do you remember on one occasion Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Well, Scripture also tells us in 1 John 1, 5 that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Interesting. Now, do you realize that unlike water or even air, light is incorruptible? That is, life, light is not success, susceptible to contamination or corruption or infection. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's sunlight, moonlight, starlight, or lamplight. Light is always nothing but light. Light can come through a dirty window, but the light itself remains clean. Light exposes the dust particles, but not one speck of dust gets on the light. And no matter which avenue light passes through, it always remains perfectly pure. That is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though he walked and he lived in the sinful, dirty world, his feet never picked up the dirt of human sin. Third, consider in our outline his preeminent position. See, Jesus holds a position that no one has ever held. In his power, we saw his dominance. In his perfection, we saw his dignity. But now, in his position, we see his dominion. First, he is the recipient of all things. See, verse 2 tells us that the Lord Jesus has been appointed heir of all things. This world was not only made by Jesus, it was made for Jesus. Romans 11.36 states, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. He holds the title deed to all of the earth. It was made by him. It was made for him. It was made through him. And one day it will be returned to him. That is why the Bible speaks of stewardship, not ownership. You don't own anything. Everything the Bible says belongs to Jesus, and it is on loan from Jesus. You see, Jesus is our landlord because he is Lord over all the land we survey. 
And if you want any part of this world, you had better know the one who owns it all. Now, if you are born again and part of the family of God, you should rejoice that Jesus is the heir of all things. Because Romans 8.17 tells us that as children of God, we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. That means when I accept the Lord Jesus, I get everything he's got coming, and he's going to get it all. You become an heir to all of the wealth and all of the glory of the Father's kingdom. Secondly, he is the redeemer of all things. Now, listen carefully. Verse 3 tells us that the Lord Jesus by himself purged our sins. Again, notice carefully. He did this by himself. Now, I want to tell you plainly and simply, Jesus doesn't need the help of anyone or anything to save you. You don't need anyone or anything else to save you but Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith. All Jesus needs to save you is your faith in him, and all you need to be saved is the grace offered to you. Now we are told then that after he purged our sins, verse 3, he sat down. That is a beautiful thing because the priest of the Old Testament never sat down because their jobs were never finished. All of the furniture they had in the tabernacle, there were no chairs because the work that had to be done was to be done over and over and over. But you see, Jesus was the perfect priest. He was the perfect priest because he offered the perfect sacrifice himself. Because the sacrifice was perfect, it was also permanent, never needing to be repeated again. Hebrews 7, 26 to 27 states, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer sacrifices. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Listen, you don't need rituals, feast days, Sabbaths, or a daily sacrifice of the Mass. Third, he is the ruler of all things. Where is this high priest sitting today? He's sitting, verse 3, at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, the right hand was a place of power and authority. In other words, Jesus was not just a king. He was the king of kings. He was not just the Lord. He was the Lord of lords. He is everything and all things to everyone and to anyone. But so many people look for God in all the wrong places. I have a list I copied from the internet written by someone who found God in the right place and I really should say in the right person. He summed it up when he wrote these words. Listen. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he is the bright and morning star. To the butcher, he is the lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. To the baker, he is the living bread. To the carpenter, he is the master builder. To the diplomat, he is the prince of peace. To the doctor, he is the great physician. 
To the electrician, he is the light of the world. To the farmer, he is the lord of the harvest. To the florist, he is the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he is the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he is the true vine. To the jeweler, he is the pearl of great price. To the judge, he is the righteous judge. To the lawyer, he is the chief advocate. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the sculpture, he is the living stone. And to the theologian, he is the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Listen. If you are hungry, he is the bread of life. If you are thirsty, he is the fountain of living water. If you are blind, he is the light of the world. If you are lost, he is the way. If you are confused, he is the truth. If you are dying, he is the life. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, Jesus, he is. Amen? Amen. We're going to have an altar call. I'm going to ask the praise team to take the platform again. And we're going to keep the spirit of our worship as we proclaim how great he is. So let's stand if you are able.